0: In boot camp, really, a lot of times in whatever boot camp you went to, um, the drill instructor says something, and you're supposed to scream out, and you're supposed to have this motivation, and you're just supposed to go for it, and and it's really not motivation because you want to do it. It's motivation, motivation because um, if you don't do it, something bad's going to happen to you. But nonetheless. You do it, and there's this this saying that that goes um, in in the Marine Corps, false motivation is better than no motivation. And um, that sentiment, as ridiculous as it sounds, um, has kind of seeped its way into worship and evangelicalism and, and Christian worship. We sometimes just go through the motions because we think, like, we have to do that. And that's not the, key, the case. Worship is dynamic. And Paul has a lot to say about worship. Matter of fact, he says that we are to be joyful on worship. It doesn't mean plastic smile. You know, everything's great. I just sing a song because that's what you're supposed to do. He's saying we're called to be joyful. We're called to have this joyful worship. Joyful worship that is Christ-oriented, that's centered on Christ. And is an orientation of the heart that is expressed through contentment and generosity and trust. That's Christian worship. It's a matter of the heart. And the title of today's message is Joyful Worship. So if you're not there already, go ahead and turn to Philippians 4, um, verse 10 through 23. And I just want to kind of give a recap. This is our final lesson on Philippians. So we've been in Philippians, we've been in this series called Bound for Joy. And thus far, Paul's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. He's writing to the the church at Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And he's been talking about this idea of joy, this joy in Christ. It's all centered about Christ. Your joy is rooted in Christ. Everything's about Christ. He's in prison and he's joyful. Why? Because for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he talks about this unity that we're called to have in Christ. And as we he rounds out this 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 final installment of our um, of our study and his letter, he starts to thank the Philippians for their support. The Philippians had supported his missionary journeys from the very first day that they met him in Macedonia during his second missionary journey. Paul has been supported financially and emotionally and spiritually by this community in Philippi. And today what I want to do is I want to look at three practical ways that we could joyfully worship God. Worship is holistic, and therefore we must worship holistically. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we come to you right now and we ask that your spirit would fill us. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us the things that we do not know illuminate your scripture to us we pray that our hearts would be changed not our behavior but our hearts Lord change our hearts so that we can worship you in truth and spirit in Jesus name amen so the first thing we see is that joyful worship is being content in the abundance of Christ and Paul starts this off and he says listen contentment is centered on Christ, not centered on your circumstances. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity opportunity to show it. I am saying this because I am in in need. For I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. This idea of I have learned to be content, he's saying I have learned to be self-sufficient in Christ. Now, that would have just... That would have have really railed at the Philippians a little bit because they were part of a culture, this Roman culture, that really held high self-sufficiency. Similar to our culture, we we hold self-sufficiency very high. And Paul's saying, I'm self-sufficient in Christ in whatever circumstance. Yet, oftentimes we find ourselves playing this game with our circumstances. Who remembers the carnival game whack-a-mole? Right? You go, and and the mole pops up, and you hit it, and then it pops down, and another one, you you hit it, and then, and and you're constantly trying to hit the the mole. And that's sometimes what we do with our circumstances as it pertains to our contentment. Every time that we think we have not figured out, we realize we're not content anymore. And the one prescriptive answer that the world gives us for being content is to change your circumstances. Oh, you don't like you don't like your job, change your circumstances, change your job. You don't like your location where you live, change where you live and everything will be better. Hey, you don't like your spouse, just change your spouse. It's all right. It's fine. And we 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 chase this thing, we chase this this going after a wind. We're we're constantly we're constantly a slave of our circumstances. And Paul says, That's garbage. Stop playing the game. It's all about Christ. Your your, your contentment is centered on Christ. He says, Christ defeated the gravest of circumstances of the world, and it's only through him that we overcome our circumstances joyfully. He also says, contentment is learned through inward submission to the lordship of Christ. Paul says, for I have learned... I have gained knowledge or skills to be content in whatever the circumstance. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So we have to ask ourselves, how was this learned? How did Paul learn this? Well, we see that it was learned through moment-by-moment submission to the lordship of Christ, to the sovereignty of Christ. Here's Paul, and if you read his other epistles, the guy has been whipped, the guy has been shipwrecked, the guy has not had the best of circumstances, and now he's in prison, which we wouldn't consider the best of circumstances. But he says, I'm content. I'm content with this. One of my guilty pleasures for movies, I am revealing myself right now, this is a little uncomfortable. I love Willy Wonka, the Willy Wonka movie. I don't know, I love it. (laughs) I'm not listening to this side of the church. I love Willy Wonka, the the old one, the 1970s one, and there's a character in there called Veruca Salt. I don't know if you remember Veruca Salt. She's this girl that constantly is never happy, and she's constantly comparing herself what she has to what the other kids have, and it ends up ruining her. She ends up, you know, if you remember, she wants the golden egg. And she stands on the little machine, and it says, oh, she's a bad egg. And she goes right down the garbage chute, and who knows what happens to her, right? <laughs> but she, she ends up being a victim of her own discontentment. And discontentment flows from this, this comparison or this sense of entitlement. And it manifests, its, manifests itself in complaining. But yet, contentment is not, we have to remember, contentment is not this socio-economical or family or success thing. Contentment at the very core is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's it's a heart thing that looks at everything as a gift from God and submits to the sovereignty of God. God, you have me here. You have me here for this, this purpose. Listen, I've been struggling with this this week. I'm not gonna lie. It's cold. It's cold. And my California bones are, like, I, I think I told someone, I said, if I, went, if I hadn't bought a house, I would have been, been, been questioned in my call here in New England. <laughs> Two feet of snow, come on. But yet you, I, I, we laugh at that, but oftentimes we lament about where God has placed us. And the time in which he's placed us. God has placed you exactly where you're supposed to be at the exact right time, and he calls you to be content in that. He doesn't say you can't lament in your contentment. He just says, listen, your heart should be oriented to me because I've placed you there, and everything that you have that is good is from me. Listen, I, I, there was a lot of snow this week, and my, you, we, met, we, met, you, we met my friend Faustin last week, right? Faustin talked and I'm, I'm in a bad mode and I'm just kicking you know, things down the road going, oh, another, more snow, what the heck. And he goes, this is beautiful. Snow is beautiful. And I'm like, thanks for cheering me up, Austin. like He's right though, it's beautiful. God is displaying his glory. And we need to be content in that. That's a gift. When we look at a beautiful painting, we say, that's a gift. God gave us a gift this week. Contentment is, a, is also a powerful secret that flows through our relationship with Christ and intensifies as we are satisfied in Christ. Paul writes, I have learned the secret of being content. He says, I've learned this special information that was formerly only known and privy to God. Here's the secret. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul's not saying, like, I can lift a bus You know, like, I could do anything. He's talking about contentment. It's in the context of contentment in any circumstance. So what is this powerful secret? The secret is this. You ready? Here's the secret of contentment. Christ is enough. That's the secret. He empowers us to be content. You see, we we only spend our energy and our affections on the things that satisfy us the most, right? At the end of the day, we're not going to waste our time in things that don't satisfy us. And Paul is saying, you want satisfaction? It's in Christ. And for Christians, we're called to be satisfied in Christ. And we joyfully worship when we are most satisfied and content in our relational abundance in Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about finding your satisfaction and contentment in Christ. This isn't just words. God God put his spirit inside of us for that very purpose. So how do we do this? That's the million dollar question, right? How do we find this contentment? You have to fight for your contentment in him. You have to fight for your contentment in him. Listen, I'm a a shiny objects kind of guy. What I mean by that is is I get distracted pretty easy. I'll I'll be doing something, all of a sudden I'll, I'll notice, like I was just talking to Erica, I don't know how people do work at a coffee shop, because when I'm on a computer, when people walk in the door, I want to look at them. Like, that's, it sounds weird, but that's just like, I'm like, oh, look, another person, oh, another sound, hey, what's going on? We get easily distracted from our, you guys are laughing because you're the same way, all right? We easily get preoccupied. We easily get preoccupied, and it takes away from our relational satisfaction in Christ. So I have to ask you this question. Are you preoccupied with your circumstance or with your Savior? So that's the first thing. Secondly, joyful worship is generosity in the love of Christ. We see Paul says, generosity in the love of Christ is true gospel partnership. Verse 14 says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance, with the gospel when I set out for Macedonia, and not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So Paul is saying, listen, you guys were like, you helped me out, this was a true partnership. Gary just got up and, and talked about how Free Christian Churches had this true partnership with him. It's, it's not just money. You didn't hear Gary come up and say, it's just, it's just money because you guys give us money. Paul's not saying this um, to the Philippians like, you just gave us money. He's saying, no, partnership in the gospel is relational. It's reciprocal. It's sharing. It's not transactional. Listen, this ministry at Free Christian Church here in North Andover is not Brian Bethy's ministry. It's our ministry. It's a partnership it's not transactional. You don't give your tithes and then go, "Okay, now give me my spiritual fix." This isn't how it works. This is partnership in the gospel centered on Christ, doing life together. And so that's what Paul says he's saying, like that's you guys really did a good job of that partnership. You exemplified that. That's generosity. He says generosity and the love of Christ produces this spiritual fruitfulness and has an internal eternal impact. Verse 17, he says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is, more, is that more be credited to your account. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I don't need your money. He's not complaining about the money. He's not saying, like, I wish you didn't send it. He's saying, at the end of the day, like, I'm content in Christ. I'm content with whatever. What he's saying is it's better for you to give. Actually, it's better for you to be generous. It's better for you to give than for me to receive. We see that generosity is not something God wants from you. It's something that God wants for you because it's a conduit of his blessing. And this really came, really flowed to me or made sense to me when I was a pastor at the Indian Reservation because we would give people things. We would give people a bunch of things and there was a blessing in that all right? But it was when they gave of their time or their money that the blessing really flowed. And you, you saw that they really saw that as an act of worship to God, and they were empowered. And these people were transformed at that, at that very part. It's that idea of giving and being generous. And this could be showed through our financial giving or our time. And I mentioned we have a lot of needs as we come up on Holy Week, especially in the kids' ministry there's those Easter eggs down there, the gifts of service. If you have time and you really feel the Spirit leading you in giving uh, generously of your time, I would ask that you, you please go down there and do that because our, this ministry, our ministry, needs it. We also see that generosity and the love of Christ is pleasing to God. Verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Why is this so pleasing to God? Because when it's done in faith, it's worship. When it's done in faith, it's worship. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 3. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's about the heart. Listen, it doesn't matter the dollar figure you give or the amount of time that you spend. If it's not done with a a correct Christ orientation of the heart, it's not pleasing to God. Eric and I are getting ready to celebrate our anniversary next week, and we're going to go away for a few days, and... And and I'm really looking forward to it, but if I would have came to her and been like, "Hey, yeah, well, I, I scheduled everything for us to go on this little mini vacation," and she would have, "Oh, that's great," and I go, "Well, I have to. It's our anniversary." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would go over well, right? Because she's like, "Your heart's not into it," and that's the same thing with God. He's like, "Listen, if you're gonna give, I want your heart." And you'll be blessed through that. And I want to address this elephant in the room. Because some of you are sitting here and you're going, here we go, I showed up to church and they're talking about money. I knew this was going to happen. Eventually. Well, yeah, eventually it's going to happen because Jesus teaches on money more than anyone. And let me just say this. I'm not preaching on this because we're trying to insert some sort of agenda here. Paul's talking about it and we're going through the Philippians. Further, It's about worship. I just care about worship. We should all just care about worship. And part of our worship service is the offertory. Because giving is part of our worship. Again, God doesn't need your money. God has everything he wants. What God does want is he wants his glory. And he deserves our worship, our holistic worship. And when you are worshiping, when you give generously with a heart that's Christ-oriented, you're fulfilled because you're doing your creative purpose, which is worshiping God. So therefore, we're not called to give and be generous for his sake, but for our sake. It's really a gift. So I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider how you could partner with the church this year through your generosity. There's, there's our, our pledge cards downstairs, our, our, our envelopes. Again, this is our ministry. This is our ministry. This is our family. But for many of you, the issue of contentment and gener- generosity really boils down to one thing, and that's trust. It boils down to trust. And so that's the final point. Joyful worship is trusting in the provisions of Christ. Verse 19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The very basis of faith is trust. And we have to ask ourselves, the question we all have to ask ourselves is, do we trust in the provisions of Christ? And let's face it, we have trust issues, especially around things of money and time. Why? For many reasons. One, we have to come to grips with Our culture is very, we're a consumer culture. The more you have, the more we're told we're content. We also have to come to grips with, we've all been ripped off. And it doesn't feel good. You feel stupid when you get ripped off. And you're like, I don't want to be ripped off. The other thing is we've seen some manipulations where people say, well, if you just name it, you claim it, you know, here's a million dollars, you get a million blessings. This isn't what God is saying. This is not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, trust me, because I am trustworthy. And here's the thing. You can't have a thriving relationship with someone who you do not trust. And you can't joyfully worship if you don't trust Christ's promises to meet your needs. And that's exactly what he promises. He promises to meet every need that you have. Again, every need, not every greed. So... Before we answer this question, do we trust in the provisions of Christ? We have to ask clarifying questions so that we can confidently answer this. So here's some clarifying questions, four of them, that I want us to kind of wrestle with. To answer the main question, can we trust in the provisions of Christ? First, can we trust that Christ understands our physical needs? I mean, if someone doesn't really understand your physical needs then you're kind of like, I really can't trust you because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I go through. So we trust that Christ understands our physical needs. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Christ was clothed in flesh. He lived a perfect and righteous life. And he suffered. When he was hungry, he ate. When he was tired, he slept. He felt when they were hammering the nails through his hands, through his feet. He felt that. He understands our physical limitations because he's experienced that. He's experienced it on a level that we haven't experienced it. So can we trust him to understand our physical needs? The answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Second, can we trust Christ has the power to meet our physical needs? It's one thing for someone to understand what you need, but do they have the power to do anything about it? Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, the Son is the invisible, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ is the agent of creation. He created everything. He holds everything together. The very fact that you could breathe air is because he's allowing it to happen. He holds the very molecules in your body together at this very moment. Does he have the power to meet our physical needs? The answer is yes. So he understands it. He has the power to. Three, can we trust that Christ wants the best for us? Listen, if someone doesn't really want the best for for you, you really don't, you can't trust them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can we trust him? Christ has met our biggest need on the cross. The biggest need is this, is that we were separated from God because of our sin and we deserved hell. But yet Christ, the very son of God, comes clothed in flesh, lives a perfect and righteous life, is nailed to a cross and he dies but 3 days he's resurrected and the work on the cross wasn't just wiping away our sins it was giving us his righteousness so when we stand before god god sees the righteousness of the son and we can enter into heaven so does he know what does he, does he want what's best for us the answer is yes because he's given it to us in himself his righteousness and finally this is probably the experiential one the one that we really wrestle with Can we trust that Christ is enough? I'm not talking about enough in the life to come. I'm talking about in the life right now. Can we trust that? Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We have insecurities. People leave us. We, we, we experience loss, and so that erodes our trust. And here Christ says, listen, I'm never going to leave you, ever. I'm enough now and forevermore. So the answer is yes, he's enough. So Christ understands our physical needs. He has the power to meet our physical needs. He wants what's best for us, and he is enough right now. So the answer, can we trust the provisions of Christ, is yes, yes we can confidently trust in the provisions of Christ. You see, contentment and generosity undergirded in trust comes perfectly together at the cross. And because God has made was so generous to us by giving his only son, Christ, and Christ giving up his life for us, we have the power and the mandate to be radically generous with the gifts that he has given us stewardship over. So the question is, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to all this? What's appropriate? The only only appropriate response to this is praise and worship. It's getting on our knees and praising God and saying thank you for the gifts that you give us. Thank you for being so generous to us and allowing us to be generous to others. Thank you for giving us just the contentment that we so long, just long for thank you, that we could trust you, we could trust in your provisions, that you love us that much, that you gave yourself up for us. And that's what Paul does in verse 20. He just breaks out in praise. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. How many times do you just break out in praise and just thank God for these things? It's quite amazing because we deserve nothing, but yet he gives us everything in Christ. And when you praise him, you are trusting Him, and when you're trusting Him, you're worshiping Him. So the question is do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? And how are you demonstrating that trust? I'm going to wrap it up here and even wrap up our time in Philippians. Paul really talked about joy. He talked about joy, that was his main factor here. And joy in Christ that manifests itself in unity within the body, generosity, and contentment. And I gotta ask you, this time tomorrow, where will you be? What are some things that you're gonna face? And I just wanna expose my heart a little bit. I, I, want, I wanna be more generous, I wanna be more joyful, I wanna be more um, content. And I prayed that for us as well. I want us to be a congregation that just worships God with everything that we have. So my prayer is that, that of really of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Verse 23, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. And I pray that. I pray we'd be spirit-led people that are joyful in whatever circumstance that comes our way, that we're content, that we're generous, that we're united. So that we would not be bound for disunity or discontentment, and despair, but bound for joy as we worship Christ with every aspect of our lives, with every ounce of energy in our bodies, as we live for Christ. So that's it, that's Philippians. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your generosity towards us and allowing it, allowing us to be generous to, towards others. We, I pray that I pray that we would really live this. That we would really live this. I pray that we, we would be content in you. That our complaining would be transformed into praise. I pray that our hearts would be totally fixated on you. And that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. I pray that it would all be about you. A heart oriented to, towards you. Not behavior change, but heart change. So that's what I pray for us. I thank you that you have given us your spirit, that we are not alone, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will meet all of our needs now until we see you face to face, which we long for. So we love you, Lord. May we leave here encouraged. May we leave here generous. May we leave here united. May we leave here joyful in you.